0: Before the episode begins, I'd like to talk to you about Health.tech, a unique conference happening at the International Congress Center in Munich on June 5 and 6, blending top-tier content and exclusive opportunities to meet leaders and founders from the health tech ecosystem. The event is co-founded by EIT Health, Roche, and Betten-Bretzels, the team that created one of the largest founders' festivals of the same name, which Michelle Obama, Richard Branson, and Jessica Alba, just to name a few, attended. Their idea for Health.tech was simple. Take the ingredients that made Bits & Beds so successful and apply them to the health sector. The result is a unique conference where more than 3,500 participants representing payers, providers, patients, startups, investors and corporates connect, share insights and join forces to catalyze growth opportunities in health tech. Two days to think and act together on the future of health. I joined the event the last two years, and for 2024, I'm honoured to be among the selection of thought leaders who act as ambassadors on behalf of Health.tech. To secure your ticket, head over now to health.tech slash tickets, and get 20% off with the code c that is M-A-T-H-I-E-U-C in capital letters, underscore 20. I look forward to seeing you there, now back to the episode.
1: The idea was to stimulate electrically the uh, the lowest part of the spinal cord, the one that is responsible for leg movements, in order to reactivate the nerves that are still intact and the muscles then to make the the rats walk. They see eventually after two months or three months, depending on the severity of the lesion, that without stimulation they can regain motor function that they had lost for many years and during all the the tv show he was standing intervening talking and we and i saw him like this and i said, oh, you know it's you realize it when you look at the tv and you see that the results and it was indirect and it, he was performing super well and then i i thought yeah he would not have been able to do this uh,
0: Welcome to Impulse, the podcast where you will meet the person shaping the current medical advancements and pushing the boundaries of what is currently achievable in healthcare. Be they researchers, doctors, engineers or entrepreneurs, we will explore through in-depth conversations their field of expertise, as well as the journey that took them where they are now. Hey guys, just before the start of the episode, there's a couple of exciting things I wanted to share with you. The first is that the official web page of the podcast is live and you can visit it at www.impulsepodcast.com. You will have access there to all the episodes published so far and you'll be informed about the latest releases and activities from the show. At the same time, we also created an Instagram account dedicated to the podcast so we encourage you to follow our activities there at the account impulse underscore podcast. One other thing that I wanted to share with you which may already be known to some, is that I'm running the podcast as a side activity to my work, and despite all the passion and the pleasure with which I'm running this project, it does take a substantial amount of my time and energy. That's uh, why I'd like to ask you a couple of things, which would all be of a massive aid to help me grow the podcast. So first, after listening to the episode, and assuming you will like it, please share it with two persons you know and who you believe would enjoy it as well. Second, please rate the show on your favorite streaming platform and leave a five-star review and a positive comment on Apple Podcasts. It really helps Impulse move up in the rankings. Last point, subscribe to the show on your favorite streaming platform and follow our activities on LinkedIn and Instagram. With that, I thank you very much for your help. I hope you will enjoy this new episode. Okay, so good morning, Jocelyne. I feel really pleased and honored to be with you for this new episode of Impulse. I'm really thankful that you accepted my invitation, and I'm really excited to know more about the pioneering work you are doing in the field of neurorehabilitation and neurosurgery here at De CHUV in Lausanne. You are a functional neurosurgeon in charge of the functional neurosurgery unit from this institution with a focus on brain repair in relation to movement disorders and deep brain stimulation, and you will be able to share with us more about it in a few moments when you will present yourself in your own words. Having done my biomedical engineering studies at EPFL, I naturally got exposed to the work done by your partner in crime, Professor Grégoire Cotin, with whom you are collaborating within your Restore and ONWARD, two institutions we will discuss further, I'm sure, to develop innovative interventions aiming to restore motor function after a spinal cord injury and To translate the findings he pioneered in this field into effective clinical applications, capable of improving the quality of life of patients with motor deficits. So we are going to talk about a technology you have jointly developed together, which proved to bring back the ability to stand, to walk, to cycle and to swim, just to name a few, to paraplegic patients suffering from a severe spinal cord injury. Beyond that, and if time allows, I'd also be very curious to hear about its other applications for blood pressure regulation, or the treatment of Parkinson's disease symptoms, for example. So before we take a deep dive into the revolutionary approach you're taking to radically improve the condition of patients concerned, I'd like to thank two persons who really contributed to make this episode possible, the first being a common friend that we have, Thierry Weber, a person for whom I have boundless admiration and whom I consider my mentor for several years now, and the second being Nico from your team, also a very good friend of mine who really helped me prepare the episode and took me with lots of passion in the details, uh, in the research and the work you're doing. So my hopefully not too long introduction comes to an end. Thanks again for your time and for being with us this morning. I'd now like to propose you to present yourself.
1: So thank you so much for this introduction. You almost said everything on me, but uh, to be a bit more precise, so I, I studied medicine in, uh, in Lausanne. And then I did my training mainly in Lausanne, but also in Zurich, a little bit in Australia and the U.S., but mainly Lausanne. I decided quite early during my, uh, my, my training to become a functional neurosurgeon. That's also probably because I spent two years of research with Patrick Abisher, who taught me that the, the, you could do a lot more in the brain. And I thought that functional neurosurgery would be probably the best specialty that would allow me to go towards the di- direction of uh, mm-hmm. changing neur- neuromodulating the brain. And so my previous boss was Jean-Guy Villemur, a Canadian uh, neurosurgeon who taught me the principles of neuromodulation. And then when he left already a few years ago, I, I started uh, leading this unit um that's it I think now.
0: <laughs> can you can you explain us exactly what is functional neurosurgery?
1: Functional neurosurgery means that you you change actually the 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 way the brain is activated with mainly neuromodulation but also sometimes lesions or removal of uh, of part of the brain. So the fields of uh, of functional neurosurgery are pain, movement disorder, uh, epilepsy, also uh, psychosurgery. So th- those are the fields where there is a function that you would like to change. Yeah. And more recently, uh, we also applied functional neurosurgery in the field of uh, rehabilitation.
0: Okay, and and it was uh, clear when you started your your studies in medicine that you wanted to go in into that direction, or it's something that as you mentioned, came up once you made Patrick Abisher or along the way?
1: No, I think it came progressively. When I started medicine, I don't think I was even conscious of what the brain was. (laughs) And then uh, it came progressively during my electives. I knew that the most fascinating for me was the nervous system, the brain and the spinal cord. And the I decided. I I was hesitating. By the way, of would I be a neurosurgeon, a neurologist, a psychiatrist? And then during my electives, I, I choose neurosurgery because this is the for me the specialty where you can, with an action, do something. You know, yeah. more. Mm-hmm. It's a bit more prompt. More more fast it's faster than uh, and it's just observational so that's um, that was my my point my, my decision
0: and so you briefly introduced um, the the use or the applications of what you're doing for neurorehabilitation. rehabilitation can you tell us a bit more about what it is what what it can do
1: mm. so 10 years ago i met grégoire courtiniot Mm -hmm. You spoke about him, who is a professor at TPFL and uh, in the Center of Neuroprosthetics. And um, when he arrived in Switzerland, so he first had a lab in Zurich and then came to Lausanne with the idea of stimulating the the spinal cord of rats in order to Mm -hmm. activate the legs after a spinal cord injury. So the principle is... Quite simple. So mm-hmm. when you have a, br- I mean, when you have a spinal cord injury, the brain sends a command to the legs, but it's interrupted at the level of the spinal cord, at the, the level of the injury. Mm-hmm. The idea was to stimulate electrically the low, uh, the lowest part of the spinal cord, the one that is responsible for leg movements, yeah. in order to reactivate the nerves that are still intact and the muscles, then to make. the the rats walk. So when he came, he had this idea of translating the idea to human, this therapy to human. And that's where we met and that's where we started the collaboration.
0: And so the first time you met him, you directly saw the potential of transferring the results he had obtained on rats, where he was able to demonstrate that they were regaining mobility. You have this video of this little rat that starts to walk when you have the simulation starting. Um, Was it something that really... Appeared clear to your eyes when you had the first discussions with him, or
1: yes, it appeared clear because I knew that it was technically possible. I l- saw the results. I also s- realized how serious the uh, scientific approach was because, you know, yeah. the stimulation was mimicking the way we activate our spinal cord. So I really appreciated the way it had been constructed, all this theory, and then how it m- how it worked on rats. And I knew that it would be possible, it would just need some time to yeah. find the right implants and to find the technology to, to apply it in human beings.
0: And so now you do have now the right implants and the approach is now, let's say from a surgical perspective on humans, doable.
1: hmm it was doable already in 2016 that's when we implanted the first patient yeah. but so the implants were easily placed let's say I mean yeah but but then <laughs> the, the complexity was more to access the neurostimulator in order to make it accessible and to 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 have this pattern of stimulation that we're mimicking the natural way the spinal cord is activated yeah so that's we needed a special contract with a. Medtronic, this mm-hmm. big company, who allowed us to crack the system in order to make it possible, you know, the, the. <laughs> so that was uh, that was the beginning. But we knew already in 2016 that it was too complicated to make a therapy from this uh, this technology, and yeah. we needed to take control of our own destiny to have something more simple to up, to be applied to everyone, to have other people able to use it and not only us, because there is a, a big team of engineers here with us. And it's the idea is not to have always a big team of engineers to make people walk, but it should be more simple.
0: Yeah. So that's why you co-founded uh, the startup Onward or why it was founded, right?
1: Exactly, 2014 already. Yeah, huh? That's uh, quite a long time ago. This idea of having our own implants able, purposed for this therapy. Yeah. And that's when we founded first with a, a, a group of colleagues mm-hmm. the Onward that was called uh, GTX first. GTX mm-hmm.
0: and now you do have the the implant and the, the 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 generator that is made by that very company
1: Exactly so it has been impl- the first implant has been implanted recently the 9th of May so it's it's, very recent. Uh, it took a long mm-hmm. time to get to get it done it, but it's still not a commercialized implant so it's still uh, used only through clinical studies
0: Okay just for, for research purposes. Mm-hmm, for
1: for now. now, hoping that we'll have a, soon a product.
0: And if you tell us more about the components of the system, so there is an implant that is placed on the spinal cord of patients on the lower part of the back for leg mobility that is underneath the, the vertebra, right? Can you tell us about mm-hmm. the design, how it is made? and yeah?
1: We call this a paddle lead or it's a, an electrode array. Yeah. Um, we have uh, 16 electrodes on this array. It's a kind of silicone piece that is uh, geometrically done in order to be implanted over the spinal cord epidurally as you said, just under the vertebras. And uh, the idea is to be able to reach each individual uh, dorsal root, which will then activate the different muscles from the higher one the one that are going to flex the 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 hip to the lowest one the one that are going to to move the the ankle you know so uh the importance is the precision you ha- you have to be able to stimulate the right and the left and all these different muscle groups of muscles in order to make this therapy work
0: Okay, and so you are able, to, uh, from, from what Nico showed me, this is like a 16-electrode pattern, and you're able to selectively activate you know each electrode once it's placed on the patients mm-hmm. to recruit the right motor units to enable the walking pattern and the other functions.
1: Exactly. So how do you select these? Because yeah. these electrodes are linked to a neurostimulator mm-hmm. through... Uh, two cables yeah. and the neurostimulator is located in uh, under the skin uh, in the belly and the exactly. abdominal region mm-hmm. and you access this uh, th- this little computer with a telemetry mm-hmm. and you can uh, you can change the parameters of stimulation through this
0: and so it's a fully implantable system there is no lead coming out of the patient's right Abs-
1: absolutely fully in- implantable but you make the different uh, uh, Parameters. You change the parameters from another with another little computer that is approached to the neurostimulator.
0: So, can you tell us? You said the the first surgery occurred in 2016, and then it directly proved to function once you had the first implantation.
1: So between 2016 and now, we've done a lot of progresses, yeah. but the first is always the first, and it immediately worked, yes. So yeah. we obtained what we wanted, meaning that we were able to to move the, the legs and the, the different groups of muscles. We did not exactly have the right parameters. It took us more time to do the, the mapping of the different groups of muscles, but at the end we could uh, reach our expectation and what we want, we had planned.
0: And it it seems, or maybe from what we mentioned that it's directly available once you implant it, but I think there's a big training phase, right? That patients have to go through. It's like, it's quite extensive because before they can actually, you know, make big progresses on, on their own mobility, right?
1: It is. Yes and no. I would say that the, now to access the different groups of muscles and to be able to make the person walk yeah is very easy now i mean in a few days it's fine it's done yeah the difficulty is if a patient is in a chronic state with a long ter- paraplegia in a chronic uh, state and cannot yeah. move has not moved for many years the muscles are not in a well uh, state they are not they are not so well so it it will take some time to rebuild muscles to get used to it to improve this functionality and this takes a lot of time and training so I would say that the principle is easy to acquire now I mean easy it takes not so much time but then it takes time to train and to improve the quality of the gait and also the way to to access. Uh, the gate without uh, this little robot that is taking you know a bit of yeah. your weight, and the, before you can go outside with a walker and walk uh, comfortably yeah. without help, it takes some time.
0: And um, I've seen in when I was preparing the episode, at some point, some some patients gain autonomously some some mobility and. What what is the phenomenon that explains that that without the stimulation at some point for a certain type of injuries they're actually able to recruit their muscle groups just by their will?
1: It's true that we've immediately seen that with this kind of stimulation, the patients, are, it's easier for patients first to 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 walk, and then the more they do, the more they they are able to find new new pattern of gait, and also they they see eventually after two months or three months depending on the severity of the lesion that they without stimulation they can regain motor function that they had lost for many years yeah so this is very probably due to a reorganization of the nerve fibers sprouting and the reconnections of an uh, of of nerves, this ha- has been already sh- seen in uh, in rodents, and uh, yeah. that's what we think that we think this is exactly what is happening in the human too.
0: And when um, can you tell us about? So, what is the, the development stage? So, you said the first patient was implanted in twenty sixteen. Um, then I think there was a study which was to assess the uh, the safety of the system, and now you're moving to another stage where the patient pool is bigger. Um, Can you tell us Uh a bit bit about what's the current...
1: We started with this study that was called STEMO. Yeah. And uh, with the full uh, medtronic system, the electrodes and the IPG. And then we had an intermediate study called STEMO bridge in which we we had a new implant of a, a new electrode that was a bit longer and larger that allowed us to be more specific and that also allowed us to reach the trunk muscles. Okay which was a a progress. And now, so the mobility study is for now over. We will start new mobility studies in a few months. In the meantime, we've also started another study that is uh, reaching a a higher part of the spinal cord in order to improve hemodynamics. What is this? It's blood pressure. So a lot of tetraplegic patients have um, autonomic problems when they Stand up, or when they sit, they have low blood pressure, and the, what we call the baroreflex—the the reflex we have to increase the pressure—is interrupted because of the lesion. Okay. And here, in that case, we stimulate the low thoracic spinal cord in order to increase the blood pressure and to make them feel better. So this is the current study we have.
0: Okay, because what happens is that when you put the patients in vertical position, some of them faint or they cannot, they lose mm-hmm. consciousness because of this drop in blood pressure, right?
1: Exactly. So all of us, I mean, when we stand yeah. up, the, the blood is going in the feet mm-hmm. and then we have an immediate reflex going through the brain, spinal cord, sympathetic uh, reflex that is asking our arteries to contract in order to increase the blood pressure. And we don't even realize it ha- it's happening, but we have all this... So they have this reflex that is interrupted at the level of the spinal cord injury, and we reestablish the reflex by stimulating electrically the, the spinal cord at the hot spot that is controlling the blood pressure.
0: Okay. That's 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 really impressive, and uh, I can imagine for the patients really. Kind of life-changing um, situations where they are able, you know, they're able to stand um, once the regulation of the blood pressure is fine, or they're able to take some steps again or stand. Um, and once they enroll in the studies you mentioned, um, what do you tell them? Well, because I imagine they they do have a lot of expectations when we see, you know, the, the videos from patients like David walking on the lake or um, or Michelle also taking a walk in Lausanne. Um, how do you manage that maybe more human human side of things
1: it's not so easy because also you know we don't have such a huge experience yeah. now we, the more it goes the more we can imagine what we will be expecting from each patient depending also on the involvement they have in the training so we know that on the the blood pressure side we we Predict that it's going to work well because yeah. it's really an on-off effect, and uh, immediately it works. In in, in we had a hundred percent of success for now, <laughs> so we are pretty confident. Of course, we may have failure in the future, but it's uh, it's more it's easier, let's say for the for the walking studies it's a bit more tricky let's say because we we know that the mostly the very severely affected patient will always need stimulation to walk and they will never walk the way we walk both of us yeah. mm-hmm. so um but we tell them so the expectations are more to just first move and to it's a lot of Plus, for your general health to move. Yeah. Second, uh, they need to put aims that are feasible. You know, yeah. some of them w- that the, the aim is to stand or to go to some people's house where it's, that is not accept- accessible with a with a wheelchair, or they want to stand a, a little a long time at the bar with friends, or they they want to go outside and cycle or swim. So we, you have to to fix simple objectives. Yeah. You don't have to tell them that they are going to walk again normally. They know now that they may recover some neurological function even with stimulation. But this is very difficult to to put a prognosis to make sure what is going to happen. Each individual will have a different mm-hmm. destiny. So I think we we don't take patients who have too high expectations because we yeah. know that first of all it's a lot of investment. And second, it's hard to to predict from the very beginning to which extent it will improve, so it's uh, we we take people with a reasonable uh, uh, idea of what they can expect.
0: Exactly, because so the training they have to go through lasts many months. It's not like short-term mm-hmm. things, so they need to have the right objective in mind in order to you know commit to that that training. Right? Yes, for now we
1: the patients were a long time with us. So our objective also is to make it a therapy that is more viable, you know, and that you can have everywhere. So we try to to shorten then the amount of therapy that is necessary To, 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 uh, with us, you know, because for now it was six months, at least four times a week. That was a lot of investment, and you cannot do this everywhere. Exactly. The other point, and I think that will be um, also something very important in the future, is we should target uh, earlier uh, the patient who just got an injury. If you are at an early stage, you have more possibility, I think, to first train in the right environment, because the first few months after an injury, you are in a dedicated place in a rehab center. And second, I think that there is more potential, because all the system, the nervous system, is at the beginning of a lesion. Everything can be um, regulated differently. We've seen in animals, already in rats, that you have better recovery if you start earlier.
0: And so the let's say the long term vision would be to have um, a therapy that would apply in that time range where the plasticity is at its highest level in the acute phase. And is is the vision to enable patients to um, rewalk again without any stimulation, or would it be to enable patients to benefit from such a stimulation on until the end of their life, mm-hmm. basically?
1: So as I told you, we don't have enough experience yet to tell you exactly who are the best. I, I, I believe that the earliest the best, mm-hmm. but this we don't have the experience yet. Yeah. So will these benefit more? I think, of course, if you start early and if you have a very partial lesion, you can expect that you recover a lot. But if, if in case of complete lesion, and if you start later, it, I mean the recovery will won't be the same, and you may necessitate uh, all your life to have stimulation. So, w- how many people will be able to get rid of this neuroprosthetic system? I don't know. Probably only a few. Yeah. Most of them will always benefit from this stimulation. But we also know that you know stimulation is is a help. It's it's imp- but it's not. A cure. We are not completely changing, yeah. you know, and re- remodeling the spinal cord in order to make them walk the way they were before the accident.
0: And that's a question that came up because one of the former episode was recorded with Tristan Vuga from Twice, a company that you may know in in Lausanne as well. And. They're working on an exoskeleton. Would there be any synergies that you could leverage between what you're doing here and uh, what they are doing or using an exoskeleton to complement the therapy?
1: So, for now, we've not worked so much with exoskeleton Mm -hmm. because we were used to have quite complicated devices that were very, where the patient walks passively and that was against our spirit. Yeah. (laughs) But of course, probably with the, the development of new exoskeletons that are probably easy to use and that facilitate some movement without being completely passive, would be again, certainly, I mean, that certainly, mm. uh, we, 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 it's, it's a field in expansion, you know. Yeah. Today is today and then I think in 10 years will be completely different and improved
0: and um and for the moment what are the the limits of the current technology you're using is it on the let's say the hardware side where maybe it would be beneficial to have more a biggest a bigger resolution of the electrodes having a higher number of electrodes on the current implant is it on the software side where you need to correlate you know the stimulation to the to the different motor patterns
1: I think, on the hardware, certainly, I mean, as you said, having longer electrodes with more with more i mean longer leads with yeah. more electrodes would be good. It would certainly help, but in that case, you have to rebuild a new neurostimulator, <laughs> so it will take some time. software has also been a lot improved with the new. Um a new stimulator we have there has a there is a lot of uh, there are a lot of characteristics that are absent in other stimulators that are re- it's the that are really good. but uh, the what is lacking is mainly a, a complete biological repair of the <laughs> and this uh, this is another topic, but uh, we are working to try to do the best but not in the best condition for. <laughs>
0: Okay, and c- can you tell us a bit about the the genesis of NeuroRestore? So that's the research center you are leading. I think you're more than eighty people now. Um, Nico told me. So can you tell us about uh, how it came out and um, what was the yeah the original intent behind this this initiative?
1: So when uh, I met Grégoire, it was the very beginning. We were only a few. His lab mainly and my little clinic. <laughs> And uh, so we immediately saw that there was a potential, you know, that to develop these new therapies, which were involving so much energy from from engineers, medical people, and we needed to have more stable people with us and not having people changing every year. Yeah. And uh, so and it's also very costly, you know, this kind of uh, developments are uh, cost a lot. Mm-hmm. When we published the first three patients, the STIMO study in Nature 2018, there was a lot of media uh, reaction. Mm. And uh, our institutions, EPFL, SHUV, and uh, uh, also Defitech. Sorry, I start again. You do a little cut in that because (laughs) she's I was looking at her. (laughs) No worries. So I said that when we published the the first study on the first three patients, the STIMO study, uh, there was a lot of media, a lot of uh, news. There were a lot of news. And our institution, Chuve UNIL, EPFL, and also with the support of Defitech, the foundation of Logitech, yeah. they decided to support our uh, center, research center, realizing that there was a big potential, that it was a very important research in this area, and also that it would cost a lot and we needed stable people so that was the the roots the the beginning of this neurorestor center that was founded in 2019
0: and it's a very multidisciplinary team right that you have um, can you explain us how it's uh, structured what what type of profiles you have there you said engineers i think there are mm-hmm. physiotherapists you are a neurosurgeon um neuroscientist as well i guess
1: so first you have to understand the philosophy of uh, neurorestore so yeah we we try to Understand first the mechanisms to develop therapies, and then we apply them in uh, rodents, monkeys, and humans. And when yeah. we have a new hypothesis or something new that we want to understand, we go back to the rodents. And so it's a kind of circle. Yeah. So these three cent—it's three centers, by the way. So there is this preclinical rodent center is in Geneva, Campus Biotech, and yeah. then there is this monkey center in Fribourg, and finally the the clinical center is mainly at Juve, also a little bit in. Uh, in Sion. And uh, so the, the three of these centers allow this circle. And you said multidisciplinary, yes, many engineers, I must say, many researchers, uh, some biologists too, but a lot of engineers, a few physicists, a few physicians, and a few physio and, in- and nurses
0: and how do the do the activities you're leading in your restore intertwine with uh, onward which is the startup that we mentioned which is driving you know the commercialization of a, of a therapy
1: it's not so easy to make it understand but the you have to understand that onward is a company that the only purpose of onward is to develop a product that will be one day commercialized yeah so uh, NeuroRestore is a research center yeah. developing new treatments. Who had, We had the idea to found Onward because we needed special devices and we thought that this company would help us having these new devices. Yeah. But we keep inventing new stuff, you know, and we don't only work on one product. We have ideas of improving their functions and we, we have a group, a very creative group of people and one day, we hope, we'll benefit completely from the, the the commercial part of Onward. But for now, our focus is mainly invent new therapies.
0: And going back to the, the technology you, we, we've touched on, is, would there be the possibility to apply it to, let's say, upper limbs um, using the same approach where you would have... Uh, recruitment of the right motor neurons on the spinal cord, maybe at an upper level on the back. Um, is that something that's already being explored?
1: Absolutely. We have a group preparing a study on that. Okay. So the the same principle could be applied to the, the, the upper extremity uh, muscles for tetraplegic. And yeah. I think this is going to be feasible soon.
0: Even for like hands?
1: <laughs> Even for hands. And maybe, you know, Will spinal cord stimulation alone be enough? Will we do need to apply other therapy? This is still a bit, you know, I talk to you without experience because we haven't done it yet much. But we know already with the few patients that we have already examined who already benefited from spinal cord stimulation for other indication like pain, that we can stimulate different group of muscles of the upper extremity that will help them to recover some some function,
0: and is uh, going back to maybe more the restoring the ability to to walk. Is there any sensory feedback that the patients get um, from that therapy, or is it completely decorrelated from you know the movement part?
1: No, they have sensory feedback. So you, of course, all those who are incomplete with the partial preservation of the sensation, they they have of course sensory feedback. But even those who were tagged A, you know, the ones who are supposed not to have feelings, the sensations, yeah. they after a while, they say with stimulation they have a, a perception of the body when the the, the feet are reaching the floor. Uh, especially when I think about our last candidate, Michel, who uh, who says that clearly with the stimulation he has a feedback, a sensory feedback that uh, that is clearly a plus for him.
0: Yeah that's 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 amazing and so you, the, the telemetry system where that that technology is controlled that's operating through an external device i think i when you see the videos they are activating using it using the trolley with which they walk um is there a way this could be directly coupled to you know the brain signals from a patient where this would be directly controlling the stimulation applied through the system
1: you mean the the dream of elon musk Kind of (laughs) in that direction. Yeah, there is a way. There there is a way that we're working on with already quite an impressive experience. And uh, we saw it in one patient. So there is a way you can decode the brain signal, the motor brain signals, the intention to walk, and that you can transmit these signals to the spinal cord stimulator. So to have a digital bridge in order to activate your spinal cord stimulator and to walk. So we published already in 2016 a, a monkey experiment on that, you know, with a, a half lesion of the spinal cord, a okay. monkey that was plegic on one side, and with this brain-spine interface was able to regain a, a gait. And that's the our aim also, to do it in a human being. with a yeah.
0: And so there you would implant electrodes on on the brain, like um, at the surface of the cortex, or uh, mm. would those be maybe EEG signals that that are measured on the surface of the skull?
1: So there are many ways to do it. Mm-hmm. So the probably the simplest way is to uh, to record kind of. ECOG yeah. which are a bit better than EEG signals because you don't have all the, the bone Yeah, and uh, so this is probably the easiest way to do it but other people would like to do it with uh, the penetri- penetrating electrodes in the motor cortex to have a uh, single unique recordings so I think it's an open field I'm more in favor of ecog uh, uh, you know something less invasive in order not to aggress. Uh, uh, an intact brain.
0: Okay, um, I think we did quite quite a tour of uh, what you were doing, how uh, you were, how the technology was working, how you were enabling um, these patients to gain very important mobility and and through the through the work you're doing. Um, Another question, which is not related directly to the to the research, but you're so you are a functional researcher still very much involved in your clinical activities outside the research. You're leading a research group composed of more than eighty persons at Restore. You're also involved, as we've seen, in the activities of the medical startup Onward, and you're also a mother and a mother of two and and wife with all the responsibilities and the challenges that come with it. How do you manage to to stay on top of things every day and how do you organize yourself?
1: I'm not sure I'm on top of things. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, f- So the, the clinical part, the 50% of my clinical activity is probably more routine. I have an excellent team at also with us, yeah. with me. Um, the, the mother <laughs> issues, I mean, my, my children are already uh, old teenagers, let's say. So it's already behind (laughs) even if it's not really never behind it's never behind (laughs) and uh, but ask them they may not be 100 percent satisfied of their mothers (laughs) that's another topic but the last one uh, the research part i'm very happy to have uh, grégoire with me yeah without him i think i wouldn't be able to lead uh, such a big team and also especially on the research side he's much stronger than me you know Mm. i'm um so altogether, I think the team is good. So it, it, there are so clever people around us that it's... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm just wondering why am I the one here? Because sometimes <laughs> there, I think there are other people more clever than me, but <laughs> but uh, I don't know. <laughs> it, it seems to work.
0: So we've seen that you're fighting on, on many fronts at the same time through your clinical practice, your research activities, your family life. And... And you're always evolving, I think, professionally in a predominantly male environment. Um, you're certainly a role model for many young women um, embarking on a medical or a scientific career. How do you manage to make things move in the right direction from that point of view? And you know, maybe contracting away this inertia, where you know, in the medical field, maybe men would be more encouraged to take on uh, leadership positions, as the one you have.
1: It's a good question. A lot of people ask me this and I think I'm not doing much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I could do more, but I think already the way to to, to pave the way mm-hmm. the, the the path yeah. is is enough already in a way because you show that it's possible. That's yeah. probably the most important. Instead of talking too much and not showing, it's better to show that everything is possible.
0: Exactly because we, I mean we touched on that with deborah heinze from Luna and she had a similar response to that. It was it's more like a passive thing where you inspire people through your work, but you're not you know showcasing or mm. making a lot of noise about that. Um, I think it's a very humble and, and efficient way to to do it from my point of view. Um, so at the, I think we slightly come to the, to the end of the episode. And at the end of each episode, I, um, ask three, um, recurring questions. Um, the first one would be, uh, if you could share with us an anecdote, um, from your work where you realized the, the impact you were having on patients' lives. I guess there are many, but if there would be one that really stuck in your mind.
1: So I I try to to think about it. (laughs) There are many yes. Uh, Sometimes you even more realize more when you see the results and when you are not next to the patient. And one of these episodes where we were uh, invited at a TV show, uh, the Italian television, you know, la Rai Uno, la Rai Du and we were with Grégoire on the plateau. And uh, one of our patients was not with us. He was uh, interviewed on the other part of Italy and he was with us but only with the cameras and there were other journalists there yeah and during all the the tv show he was standing intervening talking and we and i saw him like this and i said <laughs> you know it's you realize it when you look at the tv and you see yeah. that the results and it was indirect and it, he was performing super well and then i i thought yeah he would not have been able to do this uh, 2 years ago
0: Yeah, that's that's really impressive. Um, What type of uh, or what resources would you um, recommend to our listeners to know more about the field in which you work? You know, something that may be um, accessible to to a broad audience.
1: So I think there is already quite a lot of uh, newspapers, uh, articles that you can find on the web. Yeah, We also have a a, a website, NeuroRestore. Yeah, I'll put the link in the description. So, and that's, uh, with this, I think you get already a lot of information. And for those who are more interested, of course, the scientific articles are more detailed.
0: And um, one last question is, um, if there was, Another um, person that you would recommend uh, for the podcast as a guest, who would that be and, and why?
1: So I was thinking at the Shuv, because I have mm-hmm. to, to support my community. <laughs> to support the local Shuv. environment. And I think uh, uh, one person uh, we would enjoy uh, having for a pod- pod- podcast would be uh, maybe a Bogdan Dragansky. Okay. With, uh, he's a neurologist and charge ha, ha, he's very talented in, uh, in MRI analysis, uh, functional and uh, structural and uh, DTI imaging. And he has a lot of projects and I think he communicates well his passion for the brain imaging.
0: That's great. Maybe very last question. How can we get in contact with you per email over through LinkedIn?
1: yeah per email
0: per email okay
1: knowing that I already receive about 200 emails per <laughs> day from patients so
0: <laughs> yeah maybe there's a slight chance that, that we make it to you thanks a lot Jocelyn for the exchange um, I'm very impressed by, by what you're doing and, and the humility as well that that you, that you showcase thanks a lot thank you thank you for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. All the notes are available in the episode description. Don't hesitate to share it with your relatives, friends or colleagues and subscribe to the podcast. Also, I would be really grateful if you could leave a positive evaluation on Apple Podcasts. It really helps in move up in the rankings. Feel free also to reach out to me by email or through LinkedIn if you want to share your feedback, questions or suggest potential guests.